Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. So on Sunday, uh, September 30th, 2007, which was 15 and two-thirds years ago, I was uh, in this pulpit. Well, not this pulpit. It was a different pulpit. It was a bigger pulpit. It was a much bigger pulpit. Um, But I was here anyway, standing behind a pulpit on green carpet. Not on this nicely reflecting, acoustically reflecting wood. Preaching to the people who were attending college church at that time, which were some of you, uh, but maybe not most of you. Deb and I have been a part of College Church since 2005, going on 18 years now. And the reason I was preaching that Sunday was because College Church was without a pastor. Uh, Dr. Jeff Krosno had been the pastor, had left to take a church on the West Coast. And I was asked to be one of the interim pastors until they called another pastor. And I agreed and preached here about every other Sunday or so from September 2007 until May of 2008 until Pastor Kendall Franklin came as the senior pastor. Of course, two years later, uh, in the fall of 2009, Pastor Kendall asked if I would be the university campus pastor of College Church, which I did until 2014, which at that time then I became the lead pastor. So I've been pastor of this congregation for 14 years or so. I'm going for the record. I think the record is like 14 and a half years. And so if I can make it another six months, I will have the record. I intend on, oh, well, anyway, hopefully I can do that on September. Anyway, on September 30th, 2007, I was the interim between pastors preaching. I'm curious, how many of you were not attending college church 15 and two-thirds years ago in the fall of 2007. How many of you were not attending? Raise your hands. Would you raise them so? Wow, that's amazing. Well, how many were attending then? How many were attending? I think the majority of you, I don't know, maybe half and half. So it might be fair to say that most of you don't know what I said on September 30th, 2007, right? I'm pretty sure that those who were here probably don't remember either, just for the record. Uh, Pastor Joel remembers, believe it or not. He and I were chatting this week about this morning, and he remembers that morning. He was a junior at Olivet. He remembers what I preached. So except for Pastor Joel, I'm thinking I could start repeating sermons that I preached 15 years ago, couldn't I? For the record, I don't do that. In 23 years of preaching at Belleville, first, I preached the same sermon twice, one time. Uh, Because I thought I should. It was a sermon I had preached five years before, thinking certainly no one in that congregation would remember a sermon that I had preached five years before. Um, I hardly remember what I preached last week, let alone five years before. So I thought I was pretty safe, but sure enough, after I preached that sermon, 
Tom Doherty, a tall, red-haired Air Force serviceman who had come to faith there at Belleville first, came up to me after the service, the first person after I preached, and he said to me, did you preach that sermon before? I said, Tom, how can you even remember? And he said, it's not a critique. I appreciated the sermon then. I appreciated it this morning. I'm just kind of curious. I was testing my memory because I thought I had heard that sermon before. So I had to confess and tell him yes. And that morning I determined never to do that again. Preach the same sermon to the same congregation. And I haven't here. So I don't. I mean, even when I refer to a message I had preached before. But on that Sunday... September 30th, 2007, 15 and two-thirds years ago, I asked the people attending that service a question which I have not asked since. And the reason that I mentioned that is because I probably should have asked the question that I asked that morning again. I probably should have been asking the question pretty regularly. Because it's a good question, it's an important question, and it was an important question for that congregation to answer. And although it might have sounded like a trick question, it really wasn't. But this is the question I asked the congregation that morning. Here's the question, simple question. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? Or to say it another way, which I didn't then, but which I will this morning, when did God in the person of the Holy Spirit begin living in you? When did God take possession of you? When did you receive the Holy Spirit? I thought it was a pretty straightforward question. I didn't think it was that hard to understand. And I also thought it was a question that every follower of Jesus Christ should be able to answer. So when did you first receive the Holy Spirit? When did God take possession of you? When did God, the Holy Spirit, inhabit you, begin living in you? When did you receive the Holy Spirit? That was the question I asked that morning. Now, before I asked that question which I thought they might be reluctant to answer for fear of getting the answer wrong, um, I put a little pressure on them. And I said, if any one of Jesus' disciples had been asked when they received the Holy Spirit, when God took possession of them, I told them that the disciples would have understood the question, would have been able to answer it like right now. And of course, we could too. I think we can too. We read it this morning. When did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? Happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, writes Luke in Acts 2. So the disciples knew. Stay at Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit. If the Apostle Paul had been asked the question, when, they, when he received the Holy Spirit, he too would have understood the question, and he too would have been able to answer it definitively. For the Apostle Paul, it happened in Damascus when Ananias went to see him in Acts 9, 17 through 19. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So the Apostle Paul knew when he received the Holy Spirit, it was in Damascus when Ananias laid his hands on him. 
And then I told that crowd that morning, if the believers in Ephesus had been asked the question, when they received the Holy Spirit, they too would have understood it. They would have been able to answer it. In Acts 19, Luke tells us this story. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance only. John told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And so the believers in Ephesus would have known when the Holy Spirit came on them, when they received the Spirit. For the record, if any one of the Christians who came to the faith, as recorded by Luke in the book of Acts, if any one of the new Christians converted under the apostles' ministry had been asked, they too, without fail, would have understood it and could have answered it. So I put a little pressure on them that morning by letting them know that all the followers of Jesus in the first century would have known the answer to the question, so when did you first receive the Holy Spirit? Now, I didn't have the folk attending College Church 15 and two-thirds years ago answer out loud, and I didn't have them write their answers on a Connect card like sometimes we do because we weren't doing Connect cards then. But I did give them some optional answers because as straightforward as a question it, as it is, it still sounds a little bit like a trick question. So I gave them some options, not a short answer. This is multiple choice now. Well, one of the answers to the question, when did you receive the Holy Spirit, could frankly be, I don't know. I don't know when I received the Holy Spirit. That's not a bad answer. It's probably a very good answer. But that I don't know could mean two things. It could mean, I don't know when I received the Holy Spirit. I don't know when God the Holy Spirit began living in me, but I know he does. I just can't point to a time or place like the disciples could on that historic day when God gave his spirit to all of those who confessed Jesus as Lord. And that's not a bad I don't know answer. I don't know when, but I know God has come and taken up residence in me. Or the I don't know answer to when I receive the Holy Spirit could mean, I don't know because I've never thought about it. I don't know because it never occurred to me. I don't know because I didn't know it was an option. We could answer like the Ephesians. I mean, I just don't know if God the Holy Spirit lives in me or not. And there were some here that morning who had that answer because they told me after the message. They really didn't know. So another possible answer to the question, when did you receive the Holy Spirit, could be, I don't know if I have. Of course, there's another answer to the question. The question, when did you receive the Holy Spirit, would be to answer it something like this. Oh, I know when. I'll never forget the day. It was May 5th, 1972. You could say the date. 
Or you could say, well, I don't remember the date, but I remember the time. I remember the occasion. I know the when. It was the day of my baptism, or it was the day I got saved, or it was the day that it was, it was at an altar when I confessed Jesus as Lord. That's when God took possession of me. So some could answer the question, I know when, and I'll never forget it. But there's a fourth option. The fourth possible answer to the question, when did I receive the Holy Spirit, could be... I haven't. I know I haven't. God doesn't live in me. And there may be some here who would answer that way. So I gave them some options to the question, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? I don't know when, but I know God does. I don't know if God has or not. I know and I remember when or I know that God doesn't. So that's what I asked the people of College Church who were attending 15 and two-thirds years ago. And I have never asked the question since. But I probably should have. It's a good question. It's an important question. So let me ask you, 15 and two-thirds years later, on Pentecost Sunday, May 28, 2023, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? When did God and the person of the Holy Spirit begin living in you? When did God take possession of you? Now, the reason I'm asking the question again is because we really should know the answer. But more important than knowing the answer, we really should be living the answer. So I'm going to tell you the answer. God promised that he would give his spirit to everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. Somebody say amen. That was the promise of God for centuries. Ezekiel talked about it. Jeremiah talked about it. And Peter quoted Joel, who 900 years before Christ talked about what happened on the day of Pentecost. And when they were asking Peter what happened, Peter quoted the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those those days and they will prophesy and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved will be saved because they will have received the Holy Spirit so Peter quoted Joel who had promised that this is what was going to happen when the Messiah came and when the people asked Peter what they should do this is what Peter said in Acts 2 a little later Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, said Peter on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is just for everyone. Well, the truth is when Jesus first came, it's what he said would happen. Even, even more important than that is what he came to do. According to John the Baptist, John the Baptist on the day of Jesus' baptism said this, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not unworthy, that I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
That's what Jesus said himself. We've been reading about it in the Gospel of John the last few weeks. Right before the crucifixion, he gathered with his disciples, and this is what he said. If you love me, keep my commands. I will ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. All this I have spoken most with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus promised his disciples that he was going to give them the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus told his disciples specifically to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit had been given to them. In Acts 1, 4 through 5, on one occasion while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you would baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is the promise. God, the Holy Spirit, given to every one of his disciples. So when did we receive the Holy Spirit? I'm going to tell you the answer. God promised that he would give his Holy Spirit to everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. God promised that he would give his Holy Spirit to everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the reason I'm asking the question again, and I probably should have been asking the question a lot more often than I have, because I, and I want you to hear me now. Receiving the Holy Spirit of God, living within us, possessing us, living among us is the point of it all. Jesus said it was the reason he came. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it was the reason he had to leave. He told his disciples, if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. So Jesus came and then ascended so that God's Holy Spirit might envelop us, so that God's Holy Spirit might possess us, so that God might live in us, so that God might be here in us, with us. It isn't too much to say that the reason Christ was born, the reason Christ suffered and died, the reason he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, in other words, the reason for Christmas and Good Friday and Easter and Ascension is Pentecost, is so that God could come and inhabit his people. That's the promise of the gospel. I want you to listen. It's really, really important. Being a Christian isn't simply about confession and Repentance for sin, as essential as that is. Being a Christian isn't simply about dedicating ourselves to Jesus and committing to live for him, as crucial as that is. Being a Christian isn't simply about trying to live up to the standard to call the ethic of Christ through discipline and devotion and practice, as essential as that is. Being a Christian is so much more than repentance and consecration and discipleship. What being a Christian is about, what it is, is God living his life through us and in us. It is God living God's life in us and us living with the presence and person of God within us. From that, everything else comes. The point of forgiveness is the presence of God. The Christian good news gospel is God and the Holy Spirit is willing to come and live right here among us and within us. That's what makes the Christian message gospel. That's what makes it good news. That is where is the joy. 
God has come and has come to me. God has come and enters into me. God is in me through Jesus Christ our Lord in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of Christianity. So when do we receive the Holy Spirit? When does God come and inhabit us? When we are born again, when we confess Christ as Lord, when we get saved, however you want to say it. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you confess Christ as Lord. That's the truth. That's the promise. And the reason I'm asking the question on Pentecost Sunday this time, and the reason I'm thinking you should have been asking the question again before now, is because I'm not sure we're living into the fullness of the promise. I'm not sure we're living into the fullness of that promise because if we really understood that God has possessed us, enveloped us, inhabits us, is within us, there is nothing that he couldn't ask us to do that we couldn't do because it would be God doing it within us. I'm gonna say that again. There is nothing he couldn't ask us to do that we couldn't do because it would be God doing it within us. I'm gonna get really confessional here. I can't do what the Lord has called me to do without the power of the Holy Spirit working in me pretty regularly. The only reason I have anything to say on Sunday morning is because I wrestle with the Lord and I say to him, if you don't give me something to say for Sunday, I got nothing. And I sometimes get a little aggravated. I said, Lord, you know, it's like three in the afternoon and the day's wrapping up. If you don't give me something, I got nothing. I am not, uh, I was not made for this. I was made for something else. Well, no, I was probably made for this. But what I'm saying is I can't do this without the knowledge that God is doing it within me and through me. If God, the Holy Spirit isn't working here, folks. You're in trouble. There's nothing he can't ask us to do that we can't do. Because it's God, the Holy Spirit, living in us, doing it. And there's no way he couldn't ask us to be because it would be God being that way within us. You do know that the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, you do know that those are not to be achieved. They are to be received. Those are not accomplishments. Those are gifts. That's the Holy Spirit within us. That's the Spirit of Christ within us. That's God himself within us. It is the Holy Spirit who regenerates, who brings things to life. It is the Holy Spirit who invigorates and inspires and empowers and enables and enlivens and sanctifies us. That's the promise of Christianity. That's the promise of Christ. God, the Holy Spirit in us, doing all that God needs to do in us and through us. That's the secret for the beauty. That's the secret of the beauty and the power and joy and indeed the secret of the mission of the Christian life. God in us. Empowering us to do what only he could do. I am not sympathetic to those who say hey, it's not my gift. Preaching is not my gift. I am not sympathetic to those who say, it's not my talent. 
I am not sympathetic to say I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which means I can't do this. No, God can do it. It's not my gift means you're not listening well enough to the Holy Spirit. Of course it's not your gift. It's the Holy Spirit's gift to you. If you don't have the talent, ask the Lord for it. The Holy Spirit of God within us is the secret to the beauty and the power and the joy and the mission of the Christian life. God in us. The point of forgiveness is the presence of God. So maybe the real question that must be answered this morning, the question behind the question that I have already asked, which is when did you receive the Holy Spirit? As important as a question as that is, maybe the more important question is, uh, because the answer to the question, the first question, because that answer is the Holy Spirit's been given to every single one of us who confessed Jesus as the Christ. Maybe the more important question is, don't you know that the Holy Spirit is living within you? Don't you know that God the Holy Spirit is living within you? Don't you know that God has promised himself in his person to possess you and inhabit you and lead you and be with you God is not far away. God is here. God is among us and within us. He surrounds you. That's the promise of our faith. Maybe the question shouldn't be to those, maybe the evangelical question shouldn't be, when did you get saved? Maybe the evangelical question is, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because that's where the promise and the power is. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? Don't you know? that God the Holy Spirit lives within you. Have I spoken the truth this morning? Thank you, Brad. Folks, let's live the truth of that promise. Let's live the truth of that promise. God here, right here. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.